0: Hey, welcome back to the latest United podcast for a podcast I'm very much looking forward to. I thought that oh, it's the Euros, Man United aren't in action or could be a little bit boring. But um, Larry, talked to me about these Euros because there is so much to talk about, not just from a Euros point of view, but from a Man United point of view. It's all sort of interlinking and yeah, buzzing for this podcast.
1: Yeah, so am I, mate. There's a lot going on um, and it's weird because we're not used to Manchester United being... Proactive with transfers. Um, And look, nothing's been done as of yet. But from what we're hearing around who could be staying, who could be going, and who could be coming in specifically, it looks like um, we're actually on the front foot. So I don't know what's going on or what's in the air besides this COVID variant, depending who you speak with. But yeah, look, plenty to rip into, mate. And I'm looking forward to discussing it as always.
0: Well, you speak about United being proactive. We're going to record a podcast yesterday, but we're discussing it. And you sent me a message saying, oh, look, I'm not quite sure. I have a feeling Jaden Sancho will be done in the next few hours. So maybe we'll wait until that's confirmed and then we'll record a podcast the next day. So I just want to one, maybe touch on who your source is. And also, are you getting caught up in a little bit of this transfer muppetry?
1: Oh, look, mate, you already know Jaden Sancho's signed. We're about to sign Cristiano Ronaldo. Look, I'm, I'm just, I'm not buying in. I'm just saying it's already happened.
0: Well, look. We'll, we'll, actually, we won't touch on Jaden Sancho yet. I'm sure he'll pop up in the discussion, but we will go to England because England have sort of they have dominated the Euros in terms of the news. And obviously, there is a strong United link. Well, actually, none of the four Man United players started for England. Only Rashford came off the bench. But um, just on England to start off with, what did you make of England? Because a lot of people are saying they were very good. Other people are saying they weren't convinced. But ultimately, it's a good win against a good Croatia side. Not that Croatia played well. But it's quite a big game. Obviously, it was a World Cup semi-final a couple of years ago.
1: Mm. Yeah, I thought England did play well. Um, I thought for the way they set up was really good. Trippier at left back was a really interesting decision. And as the game unfolded, I was one of the, I'm sure, 90 million people around the world scratching their head wondering what's going on here. But when you actually look at how the game unfolded and what England were trying to do, you can almost make sense of it. He's the one in terms of fullbacks with that ball playing ability to put a long ball into the channels where you could probably argue sure and sure well with unbelievable work rates getting up and down the flank. Um, that's not what England did set up to do with the fullback position. So, all in all, you have to say they played well and they were definitely the most dangerous of the two sides and. Yes, it's not the strongest Croatia side, and I think that is something worth taking into account. Um, I'm not one to say after that result, yes, they're definitely going to win the Euros or it's quote-unquote coming home, but it's a positive start for them. They can build into this tournament, and I think when they versus Scotland, who, yes, are less fancied, but I think the Scotland game will tell you more about this English side because... Scotland will have a, maybe a little bit of grit between their teeth. Um, and I know that sounds a little bit outrageous, but there will be that passion inv- involved in the match, given the rivalry between the two countries. So I think, I think with that game, you'll see a little bit more what England are about. And then perhaps we can get a better gauge of how are they the real deal or will it just be typical England who will bounce out in the round of sixteen.
0: Yeah, well, that game, Scotland against England would be very good. Because I thought, while Scotland had a disappointing result, um, we can touch on the goal in a little bit, the Czech Republic goal. But I thought for large part that oh. game, Scotland were very good. Well, well, not good, but they were sort of exciting and on the front foot and you thought they could get something from the game. But just going back to England there, and obviously whatever you make of the performance was a very good result for them against Croatia. Can you mm-hmm. see a situation where Gareth Southgate now is almost fearful of changing? He said, OK, I've got my winning formula. When he suddenly has Harry Maguire back, he has Jordan Henderson back, can you see a situation where he does move to the three at the back, which we all assumed he was going to do when he selected his 15 right backs in the 26-man squad? Sorry, mate, it cut out a bit. Can you repeat that question for me? I was just saying when he when Gareth Southgate gets Jordan Henderson back, gets Harry Maguire back... Can you see a situation where he's found this winning formula in a big game against Croatia? Mm. We all expected him to play a five at the back, but can you almost see him now sticking with the four at the back and what that means for someone like Harry Maguire?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, if if this group of players is getting you a result... Um, I thought Mings and Stones were really solid, by the way. Uh, they did complement each other well. I think there could be an argument to say he does stick with the status quo. You could also say, though, I mean, when it comes to the, the bigger games... He might rely on that experience. I think Henderson might be the one he probably is more inclined to bring in. Um, The one with Maguire, I think it'll just depend how we see the next two games unfold. If we can see that England and um, sorry, if we can see that England in the match against Scotland and through the group stages stick with Mings and Stones and and it does bear fruits for them, then I don't think there's any need to panic. Croatia didn't really challenge England, and I think that's why I don't want to read too much into this game. I thought Mings and Stones complemented each other well, but with all due respect to Croatia, outside of Luka Modric and Ivan Perisic, uh, there really wasn't much danger for England to deal with. So let's see with, say, a Scotland who will play probably with a little bit more fear, sorry, with, with less fear, given that they don't have anything to lose, I'll be more keen to see how that defence handles that situation. And then we can see how they actually transition.
0: Yeah, to be honest, I was a little bit not disappointed. Like, what do I care about Croatia? But I was a little bit disappointed in how, how sort of flat they were. And you could tell, I don't know if it was the home crowd, but England were definitely up for it. There was an intensity about the way they were playing, where Croatia were almost going through... It's almost just one of those pre-season matches or an international friendly. It's almost like it didn't mean anything to them. So that Scotland versus England match will be very um, exciting to watch. And before we go on to the Man United part of that, and well, I say Man United, I say Jaden Sancho. But before that, just the thing that popped up in my mind watching the highlights earlier. Some players around world football have an arrogance and a confidence that it's acceptable amongst people, whether it be a Pogba or a Bruno or a Cristiano Ronaldo or Lionel Messi. Where's fans can sort of accept the, those people walking around with their chest out and that sort of so-called arrogance.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: However, when Jordan Pickford does it, where does he get his arrogance from? I, I can't understand it.
1: Oh, look, I, I couldn't tell you. Maybe it has something to do with being an extinct dinosaur among us. Um, you know, he, he is a T-Rex after all.
0: But do you get that feeling, the way he just walks around? You think, oh, my God, Jordan, you're a shocking goalkeeper. How are you the England goalkeeper? No one knows. But look, fair play, he's kept a clean sheet against Croatia and he is doing well. But I I just, I think Roy Keane's made this point before he's made it in tournaments before and he's made the point with Everton that he's going to cost you games. And I think there will come a time which would mention the defence, but Jordan Pickford is part of this defence and he worries me. And Not that it worries me, I'm not an England fan, so to speak, but I can see nightmares with Jordan Pickford in goals, especially the way he carries himself. He's got this confidence and ar- arrogance where it comes with good players, and Jordan Pickford definitely isn't one of those.
1: Yeah, look, I, I take your point, and I am surprised he is the number one, but in saying that, we all knew he'd be the number one. Um, he's the one player that Southgate seems to have an, a loyalty that cannot be... Uh, um, it can't be hit, it can't be challenged. He's just... He's got a fix on that goalkeeping position. I, I don't know why. Um, I think he's had a very poor season for Everton, and to be honest, he's had a poor season tra- tracing back to you know, previous seasons. I, I recall last season, he, he produced constant howlers. I'm not sure of it, mate. Um, but in saying that, look, to be honest, I, I'm following England because the Premier League's obviously the league we familiarise ourselves with and watch week on week. Um, but in saying that, I really couldn't give a toss. I, I don't want England to win this championship. So I'll just enjoy it for now. And look, we can all laugh when Pickford gets six put past him in the, in the final stages. Well, just the
0: last bit regarding England, and this does tie into Manchester United and Jadon Sancho. Now, this was an interesting one because he didn't even make the bench. Now, the first thing, when that team news came out and he wasn't on the bench, everyone said, oh, it means he's going to have a medical at Man United. It means the deal is almost done. That obviously wasn't the case. It just proved that he just wasn't selected. And you look at that and you think, okay, well, that's the manager's decision. Okay, so be it. However... Do you now put yourselves in Man United's position, and not so much Man United, they want the player, they're going to spend what it takes to buy the player. But from a fan's point of view, obviously he's a very good player, he's a world-class player, and he's almost got the world at his feet. He'll be fantastic at United if he, if he has his head on and does well. But you look at that, and is there a case of, you almost look at the situation now and you think, should we be spending eighty million on £80 million, pound, £90 million pound on a player who isn't making the England bench? Or is this just a case of, well, he should be on the England bench, if not the starting eleven? This is just down to, I don't want to say poor management by Southgate, but just a manager's weird decision.
1: Marcus Rashford was on the bench. Should Manchester United bench Marcus Rashford? Luke Shaw was on the bench. Should Manchester United bench Luke Shaw? You take my point. Um, I don't think we need to read into what England are doing. Gareth Southgate is going to set up how Gareth Southgate wants to set up. I could also argue Jordan Pickford's in goal. Does that mean Manchester United should do a swap for Dean Henderson and get Jordan Pickford in? I think I know what your answer is, Tom. Um, we, we can't really read into England. I think what suits one side isn't necessarily what's right for another. Um, Jordan Pickford or Jaden Sancho, or whatever the selection criteria is for Gareth Southgate... England was set up in a very unique way against Croatia. I simply think it was a case of a player fit to to pull out the the game plan that the manager wants to produce on the night. Th- that's all I read into it. So yes, United should be breaking the bank for Jaden Sancho. He's a young English player, he's he's twenty I think he's twenty one years of age. He's got his whole career ahead of him, he's gonna get better, and you could just see with the qualities he has what he could add to Manchester United. It's just full upside. He'll definitely have a resale value on top of that. No debate for me.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. I'm. Maybe you sort of read this more from the fact of almost just watching it unfold on Twitter and you see the reaction of rivals fans and they're sort of. And look, a lot of it's banter and you don't take too much note of it. But they're saying, look, at man, you they're going to go spend sort of a world record, not a world record fee, but a British fee, whatever on a player who can't even make the bench of the England team. And, well, yes, when you do add context, you're completely right. It really it shouldn't be an issue. But it does kind of play on your mind a little bit, especially when you, know, you see players like Marcus Rashford come off the bench on, onto the field, where at Man United, if everyone's fit, Jadon Sancho's obviously playing ahead of Marcus Rashford. Well, not that he would play, but he, he should be playing. So um, it does add an interesting dynamic. But um, maybe I'll throw this question to you before we move on from the England debate. Um. Obviously, we're very much under the impression that Jadon Sancho will be a Manchester United player um, Mm -hmm. at the start of the season. But can you see a situation where he does sign during the Euros or can you see this dragging out um, until a couple of weeks after the Euros?
1: Knowing the curse that you and I have on this podcast, I would not be surprised if he's announced tomorrow morning. I don't know if they'll say pending medical or anything along those lines, but I think this still's is going to get done this week, mate. Just all the rumblings you're hearing, it's when you when it's an update every day like this, it's going to get done. Like we saw a similar thing when Pogba was signed. Yeah, I think by, I'll be amazed if he's not signed by Friday.
0: No, interesting. Well, yeah, definitely stay tuned for the next podcast, but we will we'll move on to England's next opponents and Scotland. Now, I had an early morning start this morning, five o'clock start this morning at work. And I was thinking, ah, okay, I won't watch that Scotland game because that was eleven o'clock. Then it only give me two or three hours sleep. But I did see Scott McTominay was starting, so I said, no, nah, that's a change of plans. I'm going to have to watch this Scotland game. And boy, they started well, and not just started well. McTominay played well. And um, just your thoughts on, well, not your thoughts on Scotland against England. We've sort of touched on that. But on McTominay, Darren Fletcher was one of the pundits in. I forget what TV um, network he was working for. But he was questioned at the start of the game when McTominay wasn't starting at the back, which we discussed last week. He was actually starting in midfield, but almost in a little bit of a defensive midfield role. And Fletcher was saying he sort of he hates seeing him in that defensive midfield role under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And I just want your take on that in regards to. I think everyone agrees with that, and we're all on Darren Fletcher's side. But how do you see that? And Darren Fletcher didn't didn't obviously meant no sort of ill ill word towards Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. But he does work for him, it does work with him. And how do you see that dynamic going where Solskjaer has one of his coaches, I know he's not an actual coach, but he's in and around the coaching setup, coming out and publicly saying, I hate it when Solskjaer plays him here.
1: Sorry, mate, the The line's gone bad again. You're going to have to forgive me for this podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I'm having some bad audio.
0: Nah, no worries, we'll get back to it. I'll try and shorten that question. But in regards to Darren Fletcher, he publicly came out and said that he hates seeing um, Scott McTominay playing a defensive midfield role. I'm just your thoughts on the the dynamic with Solskjaer working with Fletcher. Can you see Solskjaer taking any not issue with that? But how do you see that dynamic playing out? Because they're right. obviously they're on the same coach and the same coach and setup.
1: I think Darren Fletcher takes it from a Scotland perspective. Um, he probably believes in Scott McTominay more than I don't want to. I don't want to sound too harsh when I say this. I think he, he put, he's probably playing up Scott's abilities more than is there in actual fact. Um, I, I think we're, we're seeing what's capable of McTominay, and we discussed this when we did our season review podcast, to say what McTominay could become is still to be determined. I think his ceiling is higher than what he's currently producing. But I think that there's this tendency with Scottish players, and I mean this with all due respect, who am I to question Sir Alex Ferguson? But if you've seen it, Ferguson and Fletcher have a similar commentary when it comes to Scott McTominay. And I truthfully believe that that's because of that, that patriotism that they want to see a Scotsman do well. Um, and I, I truthfully believe that they're probably pumping up his tyres or, in this case, um, lifting up his ability greater than what it is. Happy for Scott to prove us wrong. Um, I I don't have an issue. I think I for me he's a defensive midfielder or a box to box midfielder. Sure, like as part of two pivots, but I think there's still a limitation in his game. And I guess I put it back to you, Tom. Do do you agree with that, or do you agree with Darren Fletcher and think Noish is a waste there? Would
0: wouldn't put it in the category of him being a waste there. But I think we look at what does Scott McTominay, Scott McTominay do best? When, when, is, when do we see his best performances? When are we most excited by his performances? And that's when he's bombing forward and getting into the box and even scoring goals. Like he, he has popped up with goals. And that is when he's driving forward. He gets the ball. He goes past a player. And he uses that power um, getting forward at the back four. And that's not the role of a defensive midfielder. That's a role of, let's face it, an old-fashioned box-to-box midfielder. So, yeah, I definitely think his future... Oh, I don't think his future. I hope his future... Is in that role, but he obviously does have the attribute or potential attributes to play a defensive midfield role if he um, sort of improves his ability on the ball. But you just mentioned there, you don't want to sort of make a stereotype of sort of Scottish footballers. I definitely will. The right back for Scotland, oh my, he's the typical Scottish fullback. You're Andy Robertson, who has got a little, I hate the guy, but it has got a little bit of class on the left. He's got a mm. like a cultured left foot. He can play the game at the highest level. The Scottish right back, I don't know who he plays for. I assume he plays somewhere in the SPL. But he's, of, he's one of those players who you just know has got to the professional league in Scotland because he likes to tackle. He had no ability at all. His runs were all over. The place. Scotland were dominating possession and they were trying to get in the ball but he's making the wrong runs and he's just one of those players who was just... He's obviously got to the level he is and look, credit to him, fair play, I'm obviously saying this tongue-in-cheek, but he only loves a tackle. His football and ability was unreal and not not in a good way. But um, look, fair play to him. He's playing in the Euros and here I am discussing it. But on... The last bit on Scotland, and obviously relates back to Darren Fletcher as well, he was sort of compl- well, obviously very complimentary of John McGinn. And I don't have the quote in front of me, but he was pretty much on record saying that, look, we, everyone at Man United has been very fond of John McGinn for many years, and Aston Villa will obviously be, put a very high price on him, but that's something that's not going to deter us. Um, I'm not, not sure if you saw those comments, but they're along those lines. Um your thoughts on those? Because John McGinn mm. is obviously a big player for Scotland and has been linked with United in the past.
1: I like John McGinn, to be honest. I think, he's a, I think he's a really, really good footballer and I don't think he would be a bad signing at all. But for me, for all his qualities, is he a starting 11 player for Manchester United? Probably not. I would definitely value him as a squad player and and when we talk about you know who united have been linked with you can definitely make that debate but for, i think what united need at this point in time time is world class players to come into this starting 11 players who demand to be starting i just for, I just john McGinn hasn't done enough in his career to demand that starting spot what do you think yeah
0: look yeah definitely not a priority however if i was playing like a game of football manager which we've discussed on the podcast in recent weeks He'd definitely be that player Well, if I could could unload Fred And sell Fred somewhere He's a player I'd bring into Fred's role And obviously that's maybe a little bit Sort of lazy Because they're sort of Energetic left-footed central midfielders They're kind of very similar In sort of that that way But um, yeah, I'd definitely welcome him at United But yes, by God There's much bigger priorities at the club Especially not in central midfield In that area But um, moving on Away from England and Scotland And um, the big game this morning Was Spain and Sweden And look, it was... I wouldn't say a thrilling nil-all draw, but Spain played some great football with absolutely no cutting edge. I think they made like a thousand passes, but just could not find a way through. And one of the big, well, obviously they didn't have a good enough striker, but one of the big reasons they couldn't find a way through was Victor Lindelof. And a lot, I've seen a lot of good memes going around Twitter at the moment saying, well, Victor Lindelof saw Man United transfer target pal Torres on the other side of the field and really picked up his game, almost in like a Luke Shaw and Alex Tellez sort of mould. That um he saw his position was under a little bit of threat and stepped up. So I'm not sure if you saw the match or the highlights, yeah. but um yeah, yeah. thoughts on Lindelof It's almost
1: had the best performance of any United players so far. He definitely has. He played really well. Um, but for me to say what I said about England, I also have to say for Victor Lindelof, is this the greatest? Spanish side we've seen, like you know what I mean. We just we have to take the opposition into account. He that that's not his fault. I I can't blame him for his up the opposition he's facing. He can't control that. And yes, he put in a hell of a performance. But that's not the criticism of Lindelof's game. the The criticism of Lindelof's game is the the English football side where he's got that physical striker up against him, where he's got has to deal with an aerial threat or his one on one in a physical battle with a, with a striker. That's where Victor Lindelof falls short. If you want to talk about reading of the game, he's fantastic. There's not many defenders better than him. And I think that's where he needs to address his game. Now, will he get the opportunity to demonstrate those qualities? Unless he comes up against England, probably not, to be honest. Or if he comes up against France, against, say, an Oliver Giroud. But otherwise, Tommy, he doesn't... Those weaknesses in his game... Won't really be exposed, and that's why he is such a good player for United. But when you look at the way United set up versus the way Sweden set up, unfortunately for Victor Lindelof, I think there is a title winning side with either him or Harry Maguire alongside a leader someone who is quick, powerful, demonstrates you know, d- demands to command that line. The, the unfortunate for thi- thing for Lindelof is. He didn't cost £80 million. Pounds, Harry Maguire did. And because of that situation, he's the one who's... And he's also the captain, mind you. For those reasons, Solskjaer's put too much too much investment into Harry Maguire. Unfortunately for Lindelof, that probably means he's, he's going to be a squad defender next season, irrespective of how he, well he goes at these Euros.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree with what you said. And I think it's important for us as fans sort of not to, on both sides of the scale, whether it be positive or negative, not to overreact to performances in these Euros, whether it be a current United player and say, okay, this performance suggests they are good enough or this performance suggests they aren't good enough. But also for a transfer target, if a transfer target we see them play well, it doesn't mean we should definitely break the back to sign them. And if they have a bad performance, it doesn't mean we shouldn't be interested in them. I think we do have to keep a level head I'm not look. I wouldn't say trust the scouts because we shouldn't have trusted the scouts as much as we have in recent years. But it is where you have to trust the scouts <laughs> and the coaching staff to sort of be sort of not not make any rash decisions over these Euros and these performances. Because I'm not sure the guy's name Schick is it for Czech Republic who scored the goal from halfway. I'm sure he'll be linked to United by the time this podcast comes out.
1: Oh mate, yeah, but seriously, what a bloody strike! How good was that? that? that is goal, the best but... goal
0: I've seen in the last twelve months. That was a cracking goal. All right, moving on away from the Euros, just to wrap up the podcast nice and quick, and obviously back on to sort of solely Manchester United news. Well, this news pleases me. I'll throw it to you first because I was will obviously have my say. But um, the one matter news that is starting to break, and there's no real sort of sort of groundbreaking news about it, but it's just sort of it's one sided news. It's only given one side of the argument, which sort of leans to it that it's gonna happen is that one matter is, has been offered a one-year contract extension, however, with a big um, pay cut, I think a lot of people are saying maybe forty to fifty, even over £50,000 a week off his wages. However, they've obviously sort of put the caveat in there with a potential future role once he does leave the club because um, it does look like he is maybe setting up shop in Manchester to sort of be on his playing days and obviously there is a strong link with him being a sort of club ambassador or some type of role like that. So before I get into it, just your thoughts on Matter doing that. One, taking a pay cut, but also him staying on for a season. Do you think it's going to happen now?
1: Oh, don't worry about me, Tom. Please tell me what do you think. I think it's a
0: no-brainer. <laughs> Look, people obviously, they'll know, the, they'll know the answer, which I'm going to say, but I think it is a no-brainer. But I, I want to go beyond mm. that because, yes, I think he, he makes our squad stronger. Well, no, I, I don't think. I know he does. But regardless of the football inside of things... I don't want people to underestimate how important he is off the field. And I think every every single player comes out and says how good he is. And you can't sort over of overreg that because it is such an important part of the game. We have such a young squad in terms of the players like a Rashford, like a Greenwood, like a Jadon Sancho will be, Ahmad Diallo, all those players. Edison Cavani will be gone in a year. David De Gea might be gone in a year or two. Paul Pogba, a World Cup winner, is going to be gone in a year maybe to just throw away experience and just to say, oh, experience doesn't matter, just because he's a nice guy, we should be ruthless. I don't think that's the case. Well, I know it's not the case because I've been in dressing rooms and players like that, not only players and personalities like that, but he is still a great footballer because I go back to the Villarreal game and we're all sitting there in the pub, 50 minutes in, 60 minutes into the game saying, bring one matter onto this field for Marcus Trasher and we win the game. We didn't do it and ultimately, look, it's no one's fault we lost the game. But we, did, we had to go to penalties and what was what happened, what happened. But we're screaming in the biggest game of the season, we're screaming for one matter. Now, in the off-season, we're sort of taking this whole sort of holistic approach and saying, no, he's too old, we need to get him off the wages, this and that. But I, I urge every single fan to go back to that feeling in that second half against Villarreal
1: and say, did you have the same feeling towards matter then? Yeah, 100%, mate. Look, no debate from me. I thought he was underutilised this season. I think... With context around what's happened in his personal life, we know why that's been the case. I, I don't think it was a view to play him less. I think the Spaniard will be better utilized next season. And you know what? You think of those games where if you just think of like Bruno Fernandez, desperately needs to be pulled out of this side sometimes just for for himself. Just so he can stay refreshed and play in those big games. If you can put one Mata in that number ten position, and you know, with the when you have the likes of Dan James, Marcus Rashford, if we get a Jadon Sancho, um, Mason Greenwood, all one Mata needs around him is pace. If you can put those good players around him that can actually go in a space, what well, Mata's mind can do the rest. He's brilliant with the ball at his feet. He's got unbelievable vision, a great passing range. I'd actually say he's got the best passing range at the football club at the moment, and and that's saying something. On top of all of that, he's 32 years of age, he's not 40, his legs aren't gone, so I don't want to hear that line used. For what he can add to this squad, and particularly given, yes, we're bringing in wonderful players, but we need to maintain the winners. We don't know what's happening with Paul Pogba, and if he leaves, that leaves only the the sole World Cup winner in the Manchester United squad. So, for all his experience, a Champions League winner, Europa League winner he's worth keeping around. And that's just not what he adds in the dressing room, but he's a bloody good footballer. And I, I hope that the modern football fan doesn't, doesn't, I guess, miss the opportunity to see that. Because with a good run of games, which we expect him to get next season, undoubtedly, I think he can be a wonderful squad player still to add to this Manchester United side.
0: Well, just quickly moving on, just the last bit on one matter. Just your thoughts on the actual sort of his sort of action to take a pay cut and stay. Because can you name another footballer besides Phil Jones who's had to sort of mandatorily take it, can Mm -hmm. you see another footballer who actually takes a wage cut and to stay at the club? Now, a lot of people will say, well, the option shouldn't be given to the player. We should be ruthless and say, if he's going to have a reduced role, we shouldn't offer him a contract. And while I don't agree with it, I can understand that point of view. But I think Mm. when someone is willing to take a pay cut like this to play at the club because he loves the club, and we've criticised so many players in the past for not loving the club, I think, well, regardless of what you think his role is on the field, that is someone that we should all agree
1: should be staying at the club. We need those characters at the club. Um, I think we, we did see it in the past. Um, probably, well, it was under the glazers. Um, I think we saw this with Giggs and Skulls. They weren't getting pay rises in the latter years of their career. Um, but oh, yeah, yeah but I a mean... Cut
0: like this, is, this is reportedly going to be a big wage cut.
1: Well, I think he's on, I think he's under 200,000 now. I think if I've, well, according to reports, favorite line in football journalism, he's on around 170, 180, and he's going to be going down to 100K a week. Um, so look, he won't be starving, but look, I, I take your point. No, it's not common for players to take a pay cut. And look, he very rightly so could go to another league, get a pay rise, play more football, um, but yeah, look, it does speak to one mata. He obviously wants to stay at the football club. He's put a few. Um, he's got a bit going on in Manchester, doesn't he? He's got. I know he's got a restaurant, or it's his dad's restaurant, or something along those lines. And some reports have come out suggesting he's actually invested, or like actually bought a house in Manchester. Um, so a lot of the footballers who you know move football club to football club across Europe, they tend to rent, right? They don't buy those properties. Um, so if he's bought and he's got the restaurant there. Maybe he's looking at Manchester as the home away from home. And if that's the case, staying at the club makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, well, look, there'll be plenty more to discuss on One Matter. Hopefully I don't have to be doing my tribute podcast in two or three weeks' time. But um, yeah, time will tell. And um, if you are listening, let us know your thoughts on the One Matter situation because it is very interesting. Now, maybe a more interesting one, just to wrap up the podcast. Now, we're we're both sort of, we both very much love One Matter, maybe me a little bit more, but we're both in agreement in the situation there. Now, I know your side of the argument on this one, but it is interesting because I definitely sit firmly on the fence. Anthony Martial, what are you making of this news? Because obviously you're a huge fan of Anthony Martial, but the news has come out, whether it's news or reports or it's just the agent talking, I'll get your thoughts. But he is linked with a little bit of a move, and the first report was a loan to Real Madrid. First of all, just the loan to Real Madrid. Is there anything in that for you? But overall, yeah, what's your thoughts on the Martial situation as it stands?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure what I make of this one. Um I think it's all driven by his agent, to be honest. And that's probably because he's seeing what's unfolded at Manchester United and unfortunately for Anthony, it's been the perfect storm, hasn't it? You have seen Cavani come to form and at the same time Martial's probably had his worst season in a United shirt. Um look I, I don't I don't want to see him go, but I think I, I could see it happening, mate. Um Yeah, I I don't know. I I, I don't want to see him go. I don't want to write him off after one season because we saw what he produced just one season ago and I would hate to think where that fickle of a fan base and I'd hate to think the United coaching staff are looking at him and thinking, you know, we don't need this player anymore because even if you want to play Mason centrally, do you really think he's ready to play that position regularly Week in, week out. For me, you can do one more season of Martial. Let's see how he goes. I, I wouldn't be r- selling him off now. Because I'm telling you, mate, if he comes to form and he goes on to score 30 goals next season somewhere else, we're all going to be kicking ourselves. Why did that happen? Cavani's 34. Like, yeah, he's in great shape and all. But if he goes down, you're going to need someone else there. Do you want? Do you really want Mason Greenwood to be your sole backup for the only person who can back up in that spot? I just sounds like a massive gamble to me.
0: With the arrival, or with the arrival, with the pending arrival of Jaden Sancho, put yourselves in Martial's shoes. How do you think he's seen it from a personal point of view? We've all seen from the our viewers' fans or their viewers' coaches what he can bring or or what he can't bring. But if you're Anthony Martial, how are you viewing the current situation with spending £80 million on another wide player or another attacking player? Is it maybe coming from your camp saying, well, maybe my future is better somewhere else?
1: I mean, I get it, but... I'd rather see him put a bit between his teeth and fight for his spot. Everyone's writing you off. Like, you're at at one of the biggest clubs in the world. Now, look, if you're getting an offer, again, putting myself in Anthony Martial's shoes, a young Frenchman gets the opportunity to go to Real Madrid, he's not going to view that as a step down. He's probably viewing it as a step up, in all honesty. If he gets that opportunity, he'll probably take it. But anywhere else other than that, It would be a step down. Like, if you really love the club and you want to prove yourself to be elite, kind of go back yourself because you're going to be back up at Real Madrid anyway. Like, Karim Benzema is going to be the starting number nine there, surely. So, do you want to fight it out at United where Cavani is 34 years of age, you can easily get your spot back? Or do you want to go to Real Madrid where you're going to be stuck behind Eden Hazard and Karim Benzema and whoever else, and they'll probably sign Mbappe and you're going to have the same problem with your career. I think he's got a real opportunity to find a little bit of heart and put put in a little bit of grit.
0: Yeah, look, time will tell. And um, at the moment, that news doesn't really seem to hold sort of too much weight. But I'm sure as the sort of Jaden Sancho news heats up, um, the Anthony Martial discussion sort of will eventuate and there will sort of be different sort of directions it does take. But
1: um, it will be interesting. Um, Let me put this one at you, mate. If he goes, do you think, because the, the Ronaldo rumours are one that we haven't really discussed and for obvious reasons, but if United were to bring in, say, Cristiano Ronaldo or they were looking to bring him in, do you think, because surely for me, even if you get in Sancho, you're not going to get rid of Martial unless you're bringing in another number nine. Sancho playing right wing doesn't fix our depth up up front. So for me, if it looks like if Martial is going to go, surely we're getting someone else in.
0: Well, that's the thing, from a Martial point of view, I don't see any issue numbers-wise with Jaden Sancho arriving. I think that's two players on the left in regards to Rashford and Martial. Whoever's better will play. Obviously, both have the option to play up front if if Cavani's not playing well. You've got Greenwood in the forward line in that attacking role as well. And then on the right, you've got Jaden Sancho with Mason Greenwood. And then you could throw Dan James in, in and around that squad. So I don't see any issue numbers-wise there. If you throw a striker in, a big-money striker, a Ronaldo or Haaland, that's where I see one too many numbers, and that is where someone's future is going to have to be somewhere else.
1: Mm. Yeah, I'd agree with that.
0: But um, look, I'm sure Mata and Martial will be sort of topic number one next week because next week on the podcast, because it is that time of year, and um, we've seen with the news, it does change very quick. By the time of recording this, um, it's just before the France and Portugal, not France and Portugal, but France and Portugal are both playing today, so I'm, there, I'm sure to be news. Um, like you just said, Jadon Sancho could be announced by the time we click upload. But um, a good chat, a little bit about Man United, a little bit about England. Um, it's all sort of intertwined for, for a good podcast, mate.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Tom, look, we'll obviously keep discussing the Euros as we're going. But from what the games we've seen so far, have you changed your position? Last time we spoke, you were... In the Portugal camp with me, um, ha- has anything you've seen from the other sides changed that opinion or are you still are you still behind the, the Portuguese lads?
0: No, yeah, well, we'll see Portugal tonight, but I think everything has sort of almost gone according to plan. Like England was that mixed bag that they're good and but also not good enough at times. And you thought, okay, this probably just sort of sums up England. But I think Italy sort of proved us both right, thinking, well, there's a sort of fine balance there with Italy and Italy did look good. Other than that, there hasn't been too many sort of surprises. Belgium did look good, but obviously Belgium against Russia, they were expected to go and sort of win that game. But um, just on, on that group, which we haven't even discussed on this podcast, maybe we just, should just finish with, I'll throw it to you and just get your thoughts, or not your thoughts, but just your sort of overall reaction to it. Um, the sad news, well, obviously good news in the end, he seems to be okay. Mm. But the, um, the crazy situation with Christian Eriksen, um, that was a scary time when I woke up that morning watching that unfold.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it was scary. Like, you know what? The way the ball was thrown at him and he just collapsed as the ball's approaching him, like, that that was scary. Like, generally, you just see a player, when this sort of thing happens, they're just sort of trottling along and then they just pass out. The fact the ball was being chucked at him and he just collapsed, like, it's scary, mate. Um, and it just shows you, like, life is fragile. And you know what? They really have to... If this isn't an, an like if this doesn't raise alarms to say they really need to look at the football schedule and look at the stress that these players get put under seriously nothing will. This is happening because we've got elite footballers pushing their bodies to the absolute maximum and beyond and the human body cannot take it. Like there's been enough examples of this. We saw Daley Blind, while he didn't collapse have a similar situation with his heart. Like these sorts of situations will keep arising, and there's been enough cases for me now where you just—they need to look at the amount of duress they're putting these human bodies under. Yes, they're well paid, but being well paid doesn't give you a longer life. You know, you can't you can't spend that if you're not here to enjoy it. So, like, yeah, and kudos to um his teammates for surrounding him. I thought the the media trying to get shots of him receiving CPR was a disgrace. Um, but look, thankfully he's pulled through.
0: Yeah, well, my only thought, look, echo all your thoughts there. My only thoughts, maybe just to wrap up the pod there, is um, just from an education point of view, which a lot of things get said when something like this happens, but I'm just in the process of now, obviously, it's a requirement with my job, but something I sort of voluntarily do every year, um, regardless, is to update and refresh my CPR course. And I pray to God I'm never in a situation where someone I know or myself needs CPR but I urge everyone, just when you see footage like that, it reminds you, just go and do your CPR course. It takes two hours, take 50 bucks, co- takes a couple of hours. And just on the one-off occasion in a million, you're in a situation where someone does need help um, until an ambulance arrives. Um, I think when you see scenes like that, it does hit home how important those two or three minutes before the ambulance does arrive um, can be. Yeah, so if absolutely. you are listening to this and you don't do a CPR course every year, um, I urge you to do so because... I've just seen how important it is. But um, until then, um, hopefully everyone did enjoy the podcast. I always enjoy chatting to you, Larry. Um, Portugal and France tonight, not Portugal and France playing each other, but they're both in action. Pogba and Bruno Fernandes, I think this is where the Euros has been good so far, but now I think the big hitters are in action. And, yeah, the, the Euros are re- really starting to heat up now.
1: Yeah, I'm really keen to see how Portugal approached this game. Only because if you think of how they won it in 2016, they... Sort of rode their luck a little bit. Um, like they they didn't win a game, right? <laughs> up until like in the in the final stages, be, beyond the group stage, they didn't win a game. Like it just went to extra time penalties, and you know. So I'm I'm keen to see now that they actually have an array of attacking talent. Will they actually change the way that they play? So will they set up to counter like they did in 2016, or will they play on the front foot? So very keen to watch Portugal. I think with France. You, it's the status quo. Like, it's just an, an elite group of footballers. Still the ones to beat for me. Um, but, yeah, really keen to watch tonight's events and see how the games play out.
0: Well, it's interesting with France because, obviously, football is a game where people run around for 90 minutes. And at the end of the end of the day, the Germans win. So um, we're all writing off Germany. But um, <laughs> it will be an interesting game. But yep, um, no, until then, right. hopefully everyone enjoyed the podcast. And um, yeah, make sure you subscribe on your podcast app and follow on us on all our social medias at UTDpubcast. And until then, hopefully everyone enjoys the football this week. And we'll chat to you at the end of the week. Until then, see ya. See you.